0: Welcome to another episode of Can Marketing Save the Planet? Today, Michelle and I are delighted to be joined by Laura Brett, Vice President of BBB National Programmes National Advertising Division. Laura, welcome to the podcast. Thank you for having me. So, Laura, if we could start with a bit of an introduction to yourself and the work you do. Sure. Um, so
1: you, you stated my title, but it probably doesn't tell your listeners very much. Um, I lead the U.S. system of advertising self-regulation, um, really looking at advertising claims to make sure that they're truthful. It's similar to what the ASA does in the U.K., um, but because we're based in the U.S., it's slightly different. We don't have a code that we apply. We literally just apply a basic truth and advertising principle that's set by the Federal Trade Commissioner. I, our primary regulator. That protects consumers, um, and and what we look for, we look at one simple standard that advertising claims be truthful and non-misleading. That also means that they, it um, also means you have to be transparent when you're advertising to consumers. Um, but when we look at greenwashing, what we're primarily looking at is whether or not the advertising claims are truthful and supported, and that consumers can trust um, advertising claims. Okay,
0: great. So, do consumers come to you and re- and make complaints about? adverts that they believe to be misleading like they do in the UK here with the ASA.
1: Sometimes, um, but most of our cases, again, probably because we're in the U.S., are brought by competitors. Um, You know, in the U.S., Uh uh, their adversarial system is alive and well. There's, there, you know, people often talk about a lot of litigation in the U.S. Well, this is a little bit like litigation, um, but it's 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 an alternate dispute resolution process. So most of the cases that we look at are brought because one competitor challenges another's advertising. Um, We also open cases on our own uh, based on either complaint from consumers or from our own observations in the marketplace about the kinds of bad claims that are important to consumers that maybe consumers can't evaluate for themselves. And um, and, and we'll open cases really just to provide guidance in the industry, which is what we've done with a lot of green marketing claims.
2: Fantastic. And so today, Laura, we're going to be talking about the recent updates that have been made to the green guides by the Federal Trade Commission. And those updates have have taken place in the first time for for kind of almost a decade, isn't it? And um, how significant is this?
1: Sure. So so just to set the stage, the, yeah. the FTC updates their guidance on something like this about every 10 years. So um, so this update that the FTC is in the process of pulling together uh, is not unexpected and it's not novel. It's just for everyone. I think for everyone, it just feels like an important time for the FTC oh. to be updating their guidance because these claims are increasingly important to consumers. And, and there's a, a lot of criticism, frankly, that some of these claims are out in the marketplace and and we don't know whether or not they're supported. So um so the FTC's guidance I think it, it their updated guidance is important not because they're do not because they they've somehow made an observation right now that this is when they should be updated because this is about when they were scheduled to update them. Okay. It's important because I think we all recognize that we need updated guidance. We need to make sure that all advertising is being held to a similar standard and the FTC stepping in at this point in time um, is really important. The second thing I should make clear is the FTC is just in the process of updating their guidance. Um, We will, I mean, and and the process can take a very long time. So what they've, the, the stage of the process right now is that they have invited comments to the last version of the green guides and um and they've received quite a few comments and of course bbb national programs commented as well based on our experience with the, applying the guides and and seeing where there are often uh, holes that we've had to
0: fill uh, in the guidance I've been looking at the um guides um for uh as i've just developed and launched the first uh sustainable certificate in sustainable marketing in the US and as part of that i've been looking at greenwashing and and, and really going through the guides and they they're quite thorough aren't they in terms of they go down to the quite the minutia detail on things like the the use of the words ozone or organic or or biodegradable they're really you know there's a guide there, there seems to be a guide for all st- all specific terms?
1: Absolutely. I, I do think, in spite of the fact that they're 10 years old, that they are very, very valuable. Uh, there is a lot of guidance for, for marketers out there just looking at the existing green guides. Um, but there there are some holes that the, uh, that the FTC intends to um, potentially fill. Uh, and, one of the, and a couple of the questions that they put out to the advertising sphere generally is, um, you know, whether or not updated guidance on using terms like recycling is needed. In the US, there's sort of, there's a lot of criticism of recycling claims because so often um, products that say they're recyclable are not actually being recycled, right? So they may be recyclable. Technically, but when that material is not being used again, you know, are consumers misled? Are they kind of being lulled into the sense of security that they're buying something that's recyclable, but it's never really going to get recycled? So that's, there's a lot of focus on, on that term and also, you know, recycled content for related reasons. Uh, and, and of course, something that FTC didn't really delve into too much were some of the claims that we're seeing in the marketplace right now about being carbon neutral mm-hmm. um, and, and how you could support a claim like that.
0: Yeah, because in the UK, the ASA have have pretty much said don't use terms uh, such as carbon neutral unless you can 100% substantiate, back those up and show how you're going to and continue to talk about how you are going to get there. So it's interesting. I think these claims also, I mean, I think these terms also, most consumers don't understand them anyway, do they? So um, it's, it's kind of a difficult road to navigate from the start point. It is, uh, right when there's just a lack of consumer
1: understanding. Uh, We recently had a case uh, with a company making a carbon neutral claim. They were targeting carbon neutral by 2040. um, And we looked at the advertising claim and we looked at the support for it and and found that it wasn't supported. The company, um, JBS, is one of the world's largest meat producers. So achieving carbon neutrality when that is your business is, is obviously very very challenging because yeah. you know a, a lot of the emissions come from the animals themselves. And so how do you how do you achieve carbon neutrality when that is you know that's your product. Um, and b- although they had invested pr- millions of dollars in their efforts to reach a carbon neutral or a targeted carbon neutral um, by 2040, they didn't have a plan that was achievable uh, they don't have a plan in place that they know they can achieve and and that's what consumers expect right if you're going to say this business is going to be carbon neutral by 2030 we think that consumers expect that you you've got a plan in place now that you think will allow you to achieve that goal now obviously things change and and there may be ex- there may be um, expectations in that plan that you can't meet, but you should at least have a plan now that that demonstrates the goal is achievable. And and we found that um, JBS did not have that plan in place.
0: Because it's interesting, isn't it? Because consumers are becoming more and more um, knowledgeable about these things, aren't they? So they're they're calling it out more, or they're asking more questions. Whereas I think until the kind of the last sort of four or five years, they've just seen uh, all of these claims or labels or, or adverts that say you know eco-friendly, environmentally friendly, ocean-bound plastic, and they've just taken it on face value that what they're seeing is correct. But now they're starting to raise questions, aren't they? And I'm guessing it's as the media um, and as more organisations are talking about the things that aren't happening, and we're seeing the increased urgency of the climate crisis. So what are some of the main changes or updates that the uh, FTC have put forward for the, uh, the Green Guides? So we'll have to see what they're going to do. But I think that the questions
1: that they've asked um, for commenters surround things like recyclable and carbon yeah. neutral and, and the use of carbon offsets. I think those are areas where they recognize there are existing gaps that, that we hope the guides will fill because the guides don't fill them. We often end up <laughs> having to fill them as a self-regulator and having to kind of apply existing guidance to the new claims that we're seeing in the marketplace. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but, you know, I, I think you're right that there's there's generally been a misperception among marketers that using a vague term like eco-friendly um, is, is not a claim that requires support. And, and, and that's never been the case. If you look at the green guides, they, they were always very specific that said, you know, a general claim about environmental benefits is subject to a lot of different interpretations. And you have to support all of those interpretations. So these vague general claims are, you know, we're not permissible under the existing guidance. But I think you've really touched on an important point, which is th- they've been used so widely that consumers don't trust them anymore. So mm. that's that's a real risk for marketers. Aside, you know, whether or not you're going to get in trouble with a regulator, there's a real risk that you're undermining your trust with consumers when you use these terms without having the, the appropriate amount of support for it.
2: And And the so similar in, in the UK, then obviously the EASA is, 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 is banning ads, you know, is, is, is. Saying to brands and organisations that needs to be removed and substantiating why that is and the breaches and and they've been very public in in the UK and um, and of course the competitions and markets authority here in the UK is then there will be some, there are some cases that are being investigated and there there will be there are fines there are penalties of up to ten percent of of annual revenue that can be um, administered now this is new legislation this is this is you know it came into force in January 2022 I suspect that many of those investigations are underway it's going to take time for for the market to realize what the implications are and what those fines look like so that organizations think oh you know these regulations really have some teeth what's the position on that in the US with the FTC?
1: Sure. So, um, I think the biggest risk perceived by companies in the U.S. is a risk of litigation. Um, we're seeing a lot of high-profile lawsuits being brought against companies with large large carbon footprints, um, making claims about, you know, whether it's carbon neutral or other other claims about using the use of recycled material or making recyclable claims and and consumers are being or consumers are suing as part of a class action which yes. it, you know allows the one it's you know a law firm brings a case on behalf of a lot of consumers and so the damages then to the companies can be very very high very very significant and i think that is creating a little more caution on the part on the part of large corporations that feel that they could be targeted by that kind of consumer class action um, and that's making them a little bit more cautious about making green claims Um, the FTC can bring a case Um, there's and I don't want to get too into the weeds here, but no, the but- FTC has had um, ha- has had some setbacks in their ability to get monetary damages um, based on a Supreme Court decision from a couple of years ago. So, um, so, so there are some th- those those are not the pri- the FTC is not the primary concern right now for companies being okay. green. Cane. It's really this concern about class action litigation.
0: So, I guess looking at the green guides, they are green guides for marketers. But greenwashing can come from anywhere in the organization, but also it's the responsibility, ultimately, of the organization, isn't it? And everybody in there to stop misleading ads and messages going out. So, you know, do you think it's on the radars of people outside of marketing or because they're called Green Guides for Marketers? They are focused mainly by on by the marketers and organizations. Do you think there's confusion around where the responsibility sits within organizations? I think there is. I mean, I think often
1: the lawyers in the organization know about the the FTC guidance because they're they're concerned about the laws mm. and the regulations that prevent that or should be preventing misleading green claims. I think the marketers often do not know. Um, and and like I said, I think there is that that perception that if you if you use a claim that seems fuzzy, right, intangible like eco-friendly, even sustainable that 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 those are general broad claims and they think that that means that they can use those claims because they're not they're because they're not defined but but that's that is not the case. I mean those those broad claims actually are even harder to support. So so I I do think there's a lack of awareness among marketers. Um, In the US, the 4As um, is is an association for um, advertising agencies. And in 2021, they did a four-part webinar series trying to raise awareness about greenwashing and the guidance that's out there uh, for for marketers to, to prevent greenwashing. Because like I said, there's not just a risk of you know regulatory enforcement no. or class action risk. There's a real risk in, in losing the consumer trust on those kinds of, of claims
0: and so what more do you think organizations need to be doing internally to ensure that you know the the guidance is is known more f- not because you might get you know in trouble for it, but more that what you're saying as you'd say is 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 ensuring that, that trust stays, but also that people know what your sustainable agenda is and that you are working towards, you know, decarbonization or you are working towards reducing your waste uh, or, or working on better plastic and things like that. Cause it's really important because it does form a whole part of your sustainability communications. Right. I mean, I think as uh,
1: industries should have a culture of building trust with their consumer. Right. Mm-hmm. And, and that really is important when you're talking about green claims. Um, th- there's, Many, many companies are out there trying to do you know, take significant, make significant investment to reduce their carbon footprint. And they they should be able to truthfully advertise that to consumers. but but if there are a lot of claims out there that are not supported, then then really, all companies are going to okay. are going to be harmed by that. So um, so I, I do think that building this culture of trust around green claims is something is the most important thing that, marketers or businesses or brands should be doing uh, and you know in the US honestly we would we would like to see advertising self-regulation being used as a tool by companies to make sure everybody is upholding those standards you know because because you can challenge a competitor's claim that the, the about the environmental benefits of their product um, using this self-regulatory process we, we would like to see more of it we see some of it we would like to see more um and you know and i i do think that there's an opportunity for industries to really uphold higher standards on these things because I think they're they're important claims to consumers and and they should be consumers should be able to trust those claims when they see them in the marketplace yeah
2: and also organizations that as you say are making this progress they're sometimes green hushing aren't they this this idea we're not going to talk about it because what if there is a litigation what if we get it wrong right. and of course the claims And the guides are really supporting organizations that are doing well in showcasing that we're doing okay. And look, there's some really clear steering and guidance here for us to align with, which actually, as you say, raises the bar for the industries that are really doing well. And and for those that maybe aren't doing as well to actually improve their practice so that so that these claims can be trusted by everybody.
1: Right. All to the benefit of consumers, right? Yeah. You know, if they're making these choices, they're going to make a choice of one product versus another because they think one company is more intent on reducing their carbon footprint. Then, you know, you want that trust. You you want that consumer to be able to trust that choice and make those choices, frankly, where so that they can do their part that consumers are trying to do to reduce our overall environmental impacts. Yeah.
0: And if you build that trust, then you, you can tell that broader story, can't you, where it goes beyond selling people products into what they can be doing in terms of behaviors around circularity and, and, and looking at new types of behaviors and, and, and understanding the broader issues that because sustainability is incredibly complex. Is sustainability something that's rising up the agenda for businesses in the U.S.? Uh, absolutely. I think
1: in part driven by consumers. Right. You know, there's been a lot of studies done about how much these kinds of claims influ- influence consumers. And I think they tend to influence younger consumers. Um, and that is often a demographic that brands are really trying to reach. Um, so because this is, this is a priority for consumers, brands are making it a priority for them, for, for themselves. And, and uh, I think we're at a point where, um, developing some probably even global standards about how you support some of these kinds of advertising claims would benefit both businesses and consumers and businesses having a a clear standard to follow. Um, I think would be more comfortable at making advertising claims if they kind of understand what the support is that they, that is required for that kind of claim and, and can go through the steps necessary to make sure that those claims are properly supported. Because I think you're right. There are plenty of companies that are concerned about making those claims. Maybe, maybe in, in the UK, because of the potential for regulatory enforcement. But in the US, it's really about a lot about class action risk.
0: And you say that you know it would be good if if organisations uh, kind of uh, got together to talk about you know a global approach to to you know the rules and the guidelines because most companies operate on a global level anyway, don't they? So what they're saying is 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 the same wherever you are in the world. Um, do you do you do you work with the likes of other regulatory bodies or and follow what they're doing across the world to take? Um, take a view on how to to approach and evolve in terms of trying to stop greenwashing. So absolutely we look to what our sister self-regulatory
1: organizations are doing around the world. There's an international self-regulatory organization called Icast, the International Council for Advertising Self-Regulation. Um we're regularly collaborating with each other on how we approach certain kinds of issues like this. Um we were certainly aware of when the international chamber of commerce was coming out with their environmental guidance. Um, And if uh, we, we looked at it to make sure it was consistent with some of the guidance that we have in the U S so, so, you know, we're very aware on particularly on green claims of what's going on around the world, because to your point, companies, most of them are global and they're making these claims around the world and they're going to have to navigate how, yeah. what claims they can make in certain countries versus others. So I think developing global guidance, um, it, it could be very, very helpful. And, and I think that self-regulation can really play a pretty big role in, in helping uh, push for global guidance and, yeah. and making sure that global guidance is consistent.
0: And do you think the US will go down the same road as the UK and, and bring out actual regulation uh, with potential fines attached to it uh, to to try and really you know get on top of this? If it doesn't, if if this approach, you know, and and more organisations aren't looking at the green guides and following them, and we we continue to see this rising greenwashing. So I think we could see
1: more regulatory enforcement in the US. Um, I don't I don't know if we'll see legislation. Um, but you could also see the FTC undergoing a rulemaking on certain kinds of claims that would allow them to get the monetary damages. They've also been partnering with their state um, attorney general's offices to to get those monetary penalties that, that they're, they're a little restricted in getting at this point in the U.S. But um, I, I definitely think we're going to see more regulatory enforcement around greenwashing, um,
0: both at the federal
1: level and, and potentially at the state level as well.
0: And would you be working with industries as well in terms of how, you know, because if, if competitors are calling out each other and those industries that are truly wanting to do good, you know, it helps them, doesn't it? If the general noise level goes down and the good, the good rises to the top and those mm-hmm. aren't willing to, to come along, you know, they, they have to be, I guess, held accountable for, for, not, for not doing the right thing. Yes,
1: no, it's absolutely top of mind for us at, at BBP national programs in particular that that there is an opportunity for industries to come together and help set a standard uh mm. that everybody can adhere to. And and therefore, build trust in this kind of marketing. Um, you know, there are conversations happening where we're we're looking to see whether or not there's a, a real role for industries to come together on this issue, um, in part because regulatory enforcement, whether in the UK or the US or anywhere else in the world, is always going to be limited, right? Yeah. So creating standards and 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 trying to make sure that all companies adhere to those standards in, in a more universal way and in a, in, a, in a way that provides some accountability for for adhering to those standards i think um,
0: it, it is a real there's a real role for self-regulation in enabling that it's interesting because we need to see more organizations talking about what they're doing but they need to be as we're saying say what you do and do what you say mm. um, right and and really take that forward what advice would you give marketers in organizations uh, around, you know, h- how they go about updating themselves, educating themselves and really taking responsibility for the claims they're making so that they, they can challenge claims, you know, that their organization effectively want to make. But maybe because they don't have that knowledge, they just go, go with it and put it out there. And then it, once it's out there, it's, you know, you have to see what happens. Sure. I mean, I think the first thing we
1: talked about earlier, which is setting a priority of building trust with consumers around these kinds of claims, I think that's the 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 first thing that companies need to do. And then the second thing they need to do is is really make sure that they are limiting their claim to the support that they have. Right. So if there is just one portion of a particular manufacturing practice where you've made large headway in reducing your environmental footprint, you can you can limit your claim to that particular part of the manufacturing process. It's like in manufacturing these bottles, we have managed to reduce the environmental impact of the manufacturing process by 50%, right? You can you can make a very tailored claim. And, and I think consumers are much more likely to trust that tailored claim, mm. right? Because they're gonna understand that, they're gonna understand what part of the process has been impacted and underst- and and be more likely to trust it because it's a more limited claim and not one of these fuzzy claims that really have lost their value like eco-friendly.
2: Yeah. yeah. And I suppose that comes down to the transparency, the clarity um of this is the claim that we are making about this particular facet and you know in the UK there is this you know in the UK um green claims code there is that element of in their checklist that is saying that you, you know don't be misleading about one part of the business, you know, 75%, 25% of the business may be doing this. But if 75% isn't doing as well, and all you're talking about is the 25%, you have to be really clear about that. You know, you can't just make this claim. So, you know, that's interesting that there needs to be that transparency, doesn't there, as as you say, about that aspect. Otherwise, it can be misleading. It's ambiguous.
1: Absolutely, and I think the U.S. and the U.K. are completely aligned in that, right? Yeah. That if you're going to be making a claim, you you, and it's only for a part of the process of of, of making your product, that you have to be clear of, about that with consumers. And as I said, I think that I think that does two things. I mean, I think it you know it tells consumers what can be trusted, but it also helps you build trust with your consumer. I think there is that added benefit yeah. from from yeah. Tar- tailoring your claims specifically to the support that
0: that's out there. And I think there is confusion, isn't there? So we, you know, when, if your organization's negative impacts are far greater than the positive impacts, but you're only talking about that one thing, I think a lot of organizations are worried that, well, we can't talk about anything then. I think that, you know, by understanding that, you have to be authentic and transparent throughout and acknowledge that you know, we haven't got to that bit yet and we, we are going to work on it and we, are, we will review it. But for now, we're only talking about this, I think really helps you know, that understanding for the consumers and, and for the organizations and for the industries that they work in, doesn't it? Yeah, no, I would agree. I mean, and certainly
1: there are advocates who are suggesting that if you're a company with a large environmental impact, you shouldn't be making any claims because no matter what claim you're making is greenwashing, right? But I think if you're making a really narrowly tailored claim about what you are doing, I think consumers will understand that, right? So yeah. look look at like an airline, right? You know, the the their business is flying people around the world, which obviously has huge environmental impacts. But if they're trying to increase... The, the use of recycled content in the in the in the foods that they serve on the plane, and limit waste um, among the 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 foods that are served on the plane. I think you can tell consumers that, and then consumers won't have the misimpression that. Flying has no environmental impact, right? They'll they'll understand what the what the airline is doing on and and to what part of their business they're they're able to have that impact.
2: If you are just focused on how do we make a claim about this, because everybody else is making a claim about this, then then that is naturally going to lead into 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 uncharted waters
1: and potentially overstating. Yeah. The the benefits that that you're actually providing on environmental impacts.
0: And also start with your evidence, you know, make sure you have your evidence first and then go about, you know, working out how you can communicate that piece as opposed to make a, a communication out and then wait to get asked a question and then go back and try and find the evidence for it. Yes, yeah. Absolutely. That's yeah. it is absolutely
1: required, I'm thinking the US yeah. and in the UK, yeah. that yeah. you substantiate your claim before you put it out there in the
2: marketplace. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. absolutely. Great.
0: Well, Laura, we like to ask all our guests the same three quickfire questions at the end of every episode. So our first question to you is, can marketing save the planet?
1: So I think this is a unique area where marketing can really contribute to saving the planet um, because to the extent consumers are looking for pro- for products that have lighter impacts on the environments and marketers are truthfully telling conser- consumers about those environmental benefits. Um, I think that together the marketer and the consumer are actually helping reduce the environmental footprint of the products that we all use every single day. So I, I think this is a, a unique area where, you know, we're not, you're not, the marketer is not telling consumers to overconsume something. It's actually the marketer is telling the consumer how to make a choice that will, that will reduce the environmental impact of whatever they're, they're eating, buying, you know, or choosing to use.
2: Yeah. Fantastic. And, and Laura, what do you hope business looks like in 10 years time?
1: I would love to see global standards for substantiating environmental advertising claims. I think that would go a long way to really meaningfully helping companies reduce their impact on the environment and building trust with consumers and allowing consumers to make choices about the products that they purchase um, that does reduce their environmental impacts and and really building that that culture of trust around these claims.
0: I think that would go a long way towards doing that. Yeah, I think if we can get that right and also re- mandatory reporting on on actions being taken, that would absolutely be a game changer, which it looks like it's all coming down the road. Standardisation is uh, happening. Yeah. 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 And our final question is, if you were to give one piece of advice to others around getting started with ensuring they avoid greenwashing, what would it be? Take a hard look at your your claim substantiation.
1: Take a hard look at what you're doing and narrowly tail your claims to what you're actually doing in in practice. Uh, And I think it's if if you're looking to make sure that you're not overstating your advertising claim and and the benefits that your product's providing um, and and really tailoring your advertising claim to the support that you have, uh, you'll go a long way toward building consumer trust.
0: Fantastic. Well, thank you. How can our listeners find out more about the uh, the work you do and where do you recommend they go following listening to this episode?
1: Um, so you follow us, uh, BBB National Programs, uh, National Advertising Division. We have uh, weekly updates. Um, I have a monthly newsletter, uh, but go to our website, bbbprograms.org to find out more about the good work we're doing fantastic Amazing.
2: and we'll make sure all of those links um are in the show notes for all of our listeners to uh, stay tuned and find out more and um, get access to those newsletters and things to stay updated so thank you so much laura for joining us today and uh, that's been really illuminating it's wonderful to hear the parallels actually yeah. and the consistency uh and the desires of, of of what wants to come next so hopefully we'll all get there